Dove Men Plus Care. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Big thanks to Afric. It's Tuesday the 23rd of January and you're listening to Game On. Well, coming up today, Mark Langdon and Raphael talk AFCON as more late drama knocks out some African big guns. In rugby, James Collin gives us the view from France on Owen Farrell's confirmed move to Racing 92 and the mood in French rugby ahead of the upcoming Six Nations. Plus ahead of throw-in in the Alliance Football League, Galway's Damien Comer and Mayo's Killeen O'Connor set us up for the season ahead. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552, find us on X at GameOn2FM or WhatsApp, uh, WhatsApp us on 087 187 9200. GameOn2FM now, welcome along, everyone. How are you, Marie? I sure look, I'm great. It's Tuesday. There's another I'm storm. I'm storm jostling, yeah? Yeah, it's not too bad, though, is it? No, it's not too bad, yeah. You're riding out this morning? I was. It was wet and windy. When, it, uh, bad, it was warm, though. When there's a storm, do you still ride out? Yes. I'm afraid people who work with animals, Marie, the weather doesn't put you off. Do the horses can't tell get... the horses, sorry, we can't come into you this morning because it's too wet. <laughs> do they get scared? Mm, our younger ones probably would be a bit on edge. It would actually notice that um where was I son Thurless on Sunday. You could see different horses in the parade ring um before the races when the wind was howling, blowing sheets forward on them and things like that. And the wind obviously makes a different noise in a horse's ear as well. So um yeah the wind can put them a little on edge but they like anything after fifteen, twenty minutes, half an hour to get used to it and on they go. Is it up to the jockey then to saddle them? Try yeah, we can. I suppose try and reassure them. You can't really settle them. But I guess horses are herd animals. So if the rest of a string... So say like I was in Willie Mullins' this morning and there would have been somewhere between 45 and 50 horses riding at a time. So providing 40 of them are behaving, the other five will calm down and behave with them. Is there not always one, no? Of course there's one. But no, it'll generally <laughs> calm down. I mean, it's not like... Uh, they're not always one. It's, like, it's not like a football team. Like, not one trying to be cool, like heading off into the corner, thinking he's, you know, going to like just imagine one just going mad, you know, just doing their own yeah, thing. There might, there might be one, but then you try and match the mad horse with the better jockey. With the mad jockey? No, no, definitely not. You match it the other way. So, I feel like uh, we shouldn't be having this conversation on air, but here we may as well go with it. So are you always put with the mad horse then? No, no I'm afraid I'm not. Um, I uh, I don't. I, do, I still ride quite a bit, but no, I don't. I just get up and ride work. Because you were there for so long, do you get first pick? Can you choose whatever horse you no. want? No. no, Paul Townend gets first pick whenever oh, he right. wants to ride. Works. He, he'll be riding them at the weekend, so it's much more important that he gets to ride what he wants to ride. Um, and then the other jockeys, whoever else is there, if they're going to ride a horse at the weekend. So I only get what's left, Marie. Oh, really? Must be hard, is it? We've never spoken about this. That's part of when you retire, you get put down the pecking order when you're riding work. Yeah, that, to be honest with you, doesn't really bother me too much. Just get on with it. Yeah. Yep, still okay. get the train with the... Biggest yard in the country, Marie, so hardly going to give out the way. Okay, last one on this then. How long How long more can you do for? Like, do you, can you be doing it when you're 60 or does it get to a stage when... I suppose you could. Um, what am I, 44? David Casey's still riding out. He's a bit older than me. Um, he's only two years older, but I just said I'd say that. Yeah, nice. He's a Liverpool fan, so you'd have to give him a dig. <laughs> um, no, there's, there's loads of stuff. Like, um, yeah, we have different people who are there that are, I suppose... Heading for 50, yeah, still riding. Great exercise, keeps you very fit. 
Okay. Yeah. Mark Langdon from the Racing Post is with us and Raftaiallo as well. And we're going to turn our attention to football. I think we should probably start with the AFCON and the drama that was last night. And Raf, rather than me try to explain what happened last night, uh, we did have a chat uh, before we finished up with Alan Cawley and we were joking about Egypt and uh, Mo Salah going home and all the rest, but everything was turned on its head in the Afghan. Can you just bring us up to speed um, about what happened last night? Yeah, very much so. I mean, um, I was trying to watch three matches at once last <laughs> night, which includes the Premier League game between Brighton and Wolves, just because Evan Ferguson and Matt Doherty were involved. But yeah, then, you know, I was switching over between the two other channels to watch the Egypt game and then also the uh, the match involving... Um, uh, uh, who was it again? Hey, the Cape Verde. Yeah, sorry, Cape Verde and Cape, Egypt, Cape and Egypt yeah. uh, obviously. And then, uh, of course, Ghana and Chris Hewton, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it reminded me a little bit about the World Cup final in 2022. You know, it's rem- it's remembered as a classic, but, you know, it's after about 70 minutes or so that actually it turned and the drama happened. Similarly, in these two games last night, the uh, the drama instead rather than 70 minutes in was in stoppage time so I thought Ghana were going through so mm-hmm. I flicked over to the Egypt Cap Verde game they were up 2-0 um, this is uh, Ghana against uh, Mozambique 2-0 up and you think sort of you know cruising towards the uh, you know the knockout stages albeit they weren't necessarily playing that well it was two penalties that had them up but then I uh, switched over to the Egypt game, which was 1-1 and at that time Egypt were right behind um, Ghana in the group and I switched back again uh, to to a different ch- uh, to the other channel, and uh, at that stage, then I realised that Ghana had conceded one. They're still going through at this mm-hmm. stage. Egypt then score, and there's a uh, there's a long VAR check as well, whether it's a handball um, by Abdallah, the striker. But uh, in the end, it was uh, it was ruled as a goal. So Egypt have gone ahead now and are going up to five points. But then more drama again. Cap Verde, who have rested Pico Lopez at this stage, mm-hmm. um, because obviously he's arguably in our eyes anyway the most important player Um, they score they make it 2-2 Egypt drop down again and at that stage I thought Ghana were going through and this is good for Chris Mm Hutton who's been under a lot of pressure and then I switch back again and look up the scores. Uh, I actually, I was looking up the table and I just realised they were, uh, you know, it was something wasn't reading right. And then I went up and scrolled up to the scoreline and I realised that Mozambique had equalised and it was in fact uh, two all, which means that now Ghana after the full-time whistle blew, it looks like they are not uh, going through. Like their only chances as the best, one of the four best third-place finishers, and that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Egypt, on the other hand, have snuck through to the knockout stages with just three points. And after all that, <laughs> and after all of that, yeah. poor Chris Hutton got attacked by a fan again. Oh. Yeah, and uh, also just in the in the mix zone as well, there were sort of journalists having a go at him as well. One of them, um, just as he's walking through towards the dressing room, so. It's just been a bad experience all around for him. I'd say how so. How many of the, sorry, Marie, how many of the best placed third teams go through? Uh, the four best third place teams. So six, there'll be six third place teams, the four best go through. And so, uh, the way it's looking, Ghana only have two points. So the chances of them going through is very slim. It would require a miracle of epic proportions for that to happen. Well, considering what happened last Nigeria night, anything can happen. Two. Oh, indeed, yeah, because I think when we were in studio here yesterday, then, you know, Ivory Coast is the host nation, and you think they would have enough to go through. And I remember Alan Cawley in here kind of shouting out that, indeed, uh, they were losing 4-0 to Equatorial Guinea, and it looks like the hosts are going to go out as well. (laughs) They have three points. They're sat in third. So if Cameroon 
don't win tonight and Gambia that'll be probably good for them because that'll have them ahead of Egypt as well so they have a chance actually on three points of going through this is the kind of setup that really suit Ireland isn't it yeah that's exactly how we got through at uh, Euro 2016 if I recall as well and I think in Italia 19 we didn't win a game three draws one one with England nil all with the second game and then one one with the Dutch wasn't it yeah and winning is certainly overrated at least in these types of tournaments <laughs> it looks that way doesn't it <laughs> I'd say Chris Uton would probably uh, disagree with that considering everything that he, he has uh, went through. Mark Langdon is with us as well. Mark, did you ever see anything as mad as last night's AFCON? It was it was brilliant stuff. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. It, you know, um, just crazy finishes all over um, sort of the, you know, the, the Ivory Coast. And as Ruby was saying, the Ivory Coast has still got a reasonable chance of, of qualifying. And I think for the tournament to kind of maintain interest. I know it's a bit cliche to say you want the host to go through, but in Africa, you get so few sort of away fans that follow the teams that, you know, it's nothing like the European Championship as an example, where you know that most of the countries are going to be taking thousands of fans um, to Germany in the summer. Like the tournament will just die, uh, really, if Ivory Coast go out. So um, the results as they stand at the moment with Gambia and Cameroon drawing, for example, uh, would be good for Ivory Coast and I think good for um, the, the tournament just on Chris Uton be very surprised if he kind of is able to survive this. We spoke before the tournament and said he was under pressure. He made a very controversial substitution, taking off the winger um, paint seal at half time. And he said it was due to fatigue. Um, and uh, after the game, the player said, what fatigue? Um, so um, clearly all's not well um, in, in that Ghana uh, dressing room. And, and just on the Cameroon game, that's nil nil at the moment. You, you feel like a Nana's sort of season couldn't get any worse and he's been dropped by his, his country for tonight's game so um, you know and he, you know, he just goes from sort of one bad kind of performance and story into another one it's it's yeah it's, it's, it's good TV obviously you have more games again Angola play Burkina Faso this evening Algeria versus Mauritius and that group has so many permutations like that this is really a, a competition for from mathematical people at the moment, Mark. <laughs> it, it is. Um, so that that group, um, Angola and Burkina Faso um, are on four points, Algeria two, um, Mauritania um, are on no points. Algeria play them. Would expect Algeria to get at least a point. I mean, they, they, they should be winning um, that game. They haven't been at their best. They're a team that I thought would go very well in this competition. So I, I, would, I, I think this is one of the groups that Ivory Coast won't be able to count um, upon enough teams sort of um, failing because uh, Angola and Burkina Faso, as I said, are already on four points. Would you know you wouldn't be amazed if that game finished in, in a draw, really, and that they both kind of moved forward. And then um, Algeria have got what looks a simple enough task on paper, but I think we it's already being branded the, the tournament of shock. So maybe we shouldn't take anything for granted. But this would be one of the biggest of the lot if, if Algeria foul um, as well. Yeah, they look like they'll get the job done. Raf, tomorrow then you have Mali versus Namibia, South Africa versus Tunisia. Again, lots of things can happen, but Tunisia need to win by four goals if they're even going to get the third. Yeah, they certainly do. And I don't think they're the type of team that score 
that many goals. Obviously, in the last World Cup, we saw them beating France uh, in the group stage, but obviously at that stage, the French had already qualified, so it wasn't uh, of huge importance. But yeah, in that group as well, I, I didn't have high, expect- high expectations for South Africa, but in the end, uh, they won their last game 4-0 and they seem to be seem to be flying. So yeah, there's a lot of, lot of permutations still left there, and I'm sure the likes of Ivory Coast and uh, to a lesser extent Ghana, who probably have started packing their bags anyway, are you know watching with a little bit of interest. Mark, I wonder will Onana just go home when you think that he's been benched and given the fact that he hasn't made a save at all in AFCON. He missed the first game because he was late with all the delays. Then he made no saves in their second um, loss to Senegal and then he's benched for um, today's game. Well, he was sent home from the World Cup, so um, couldn't sort of rule it out um, that that happened. I mean, I, I suppose that the one thing you would say is that Actually, it's not like they've dropped him for a complete no-hoper. Um, that the guy that's come in on Doha is somebody um, that's vastly experienced. I, I think it was a controversial decision um, for Anana to effectively put Manchester United first um, by playing for them in a couple of games. I mean, it was said it was with um, his country's backing. Um, the fact that um, he's been dropped so swiftly it does make you sort of wonder as to sort of how much backing um, there was. And also just um, uh, just sort of turning it to Manchester United, I think it shows a real lack of faith from them um, in their reserve goalkeeper that they've got at, mo- at the moment, the Turkish um, keeper, that, um, you know, Anana plays every week, even in the cup games and, you know, even to the point where, you know, most players have gone off to AFCON and he's still playing in sort of, you know, against League One opponents in Wigan and then against Tottenham. Quite an odd situation that Manchester United have become so reliant um, on the goalkeeper. But I think, as you alluded to there, Marie, um, Anana sort of didn't make a save against Senegal. I think he was at fault for one of the goals as well. And just seems to be a keeper devoid of of confidence um, at the moment. And, um, you know, for somebody that is usually so confident and um you know exuberant really with the ball at his feet uh, you know he, he he's really struggling um, at the moment and being dropped is not going to help him either I wouldn't fall. he looks like he needs all the practice to me and that's why he's playing him <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a fact Ruby uh so Mo Salah we know is injured um but we're not sure how bad it is Pep Linders was speaking today he said that it is uh quite the hamstring tear let's hear from him because of the first message what came out that it would be probably only a few days, one week, but then they made a detailed scan. And then it uh, came out that there's a, a proper tear in his hamstring. So it means that it will take expected return to play will be between three and four weeks. If everything goes smooth and everything goes right, more knowing it will go smooth and it will go right because how he treated his body before. Um, but yeah, now I said before, it, 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 um, what I'm really happy about, and that's that the medical team of Egypt and the medical team of uh, Liverpool Football Club really worked together and were really in close contact. And they both made this decision. So it's, it's an example how international football with club football should cooperate to put the player in the centre and not... Uh, um, targets of everyone because it's a, it's a conflict of inter- interest no but uh, how the, how it how it works now is that they we made all of us made the decision what's best for him 
And for him, it's the best. A stable environment, knowing the people, having a proper uh, people who are committed, not uh, who have time and focus on this rehab process. And we know how it will go here in, in this facility. And uh, yeah. Go on, Ruby. It says kind of three weeks last night. It's he probably hit the nail on the head without being inside the camp listening to that interview, Marie. Would you think so? Yeah, well, these things you just think with him if he gets back, as Pep Linder said, and they can monitor him and all the experts, people that know him so well, they should be able to that's do the sports science, Ruby. Three weeks. Well, five. Simple. <laughs> no, it'll be three. It'll be three. But Raf, what about tomorrow night then again? Morocco, Congo, Zambia and Tanzania. That's another group. Tanzania look destined to go out, but Zambia will have to get something to keep themselves in, won't they? Yeah, they, they certainly will. I was a little bit surprised uh, that they, they haven't made more of this group uh, at this stage. Obviously, it is a tough one because Morocco... They are the favourites, I think, for, for every, as we saw at the last World Cup. And I know you can't always uh, go on that because you can have surprises from time to time. But they got obviously, they got to the semi-finals at the last tournament and they have high expectations this time, despite the fact that they have only won the Africa Cup of Nations once in their entire history. But yeah, it'll be a tough one. It'll be a tough one for Zambia now to, to try and get through. But the only thing, um, given that, that at minimum they could get uh, one of those uh, third place finishes um, one of, and be one of the four best ones, uh, you would hold out hope for them. They'll have to get themselves a point. Mark, there is still plenty of soccer action going on on the home front. And we're going to go to Germany, where Bayer Leverkusen are on top of the Bundesliga. A 3-2 win over Leipzig at the weekend when Bayern Munich lost to Werther Bremen. And Xavi Alonso is making huge impact. Yeah, he is. He's, he's timing his run very well. You can sort of, you know, Real Madrid job might become available in, in the summer. And, you know, he sort of looks to be the perfect fit at the moment before that. He's got, as you say, um, you know, some serious work to be doing. Seven points clear of Bayern Munich. Can you just imagine the memes that will go around if Harry Kane moves to Bayern Munich, where they've been dominant in the Bundesliga for a decade and they don't win anything? They're all already lost the German Super Cup. They're out of the German Cup, and now they're seven points behind, um, admittedly with a game in hand. Uh, I, I think Xabi Alonso's done a, a brilliant job. He's got a, a talented team, but not one that you would have thought could be seven points clear um, of, of a team like Bayern Munich. They're Boniface, their sort of star striker. He's out injured as well at the moment. The last two weeks, um, they've, they've managed to win in injury time. The sort of cliche kind of that's what champions do. I think if you looked at it another way, you'd say that maybe, you know, they're, they're kind of that kind of run can't continue, can't keep on scoring last-minute goals. They were uh, twice behind at Leipzig at the weekend, and Hinchapi managed to score 91st-minute winner. Do want to give a shout-out, um, as well as to Alonso, to the midfielder, Granit Xhaka, who has been one of the best players in the Bundesliga this season, a real driving force behind why um, Leverkusen find themselves in this position. Bayern simply have to win against Union Berlin um, tomorrow night that game they should do and, and get it back to four points but even then I mean this is a team in Leverkusen that's unbeaten so far you know past the halfway mark still looking at an invincible season they've already been away to Bayern Munich as well um, in the Bundesliga got a draw in that game so the, the kind of the real crunch clash is going to be um, on Leverkusen soil so um, in terms of Sort of the odds, it's almost 50-50, um, which definitely wouldn't have thought that that would have been the case at the start of the season because Bayern Munich, having signed Harry Kane, were expected to win probably the league by double figures 
at the moment they'd settle for it being just on goal difference I think What's Alonso's trajectory like do you think like where is he going to go from here I'd imagine he's in demand yeah, I think Real Madrid is probably the most likely um, place. Obviously, yeah, he's played for Bayern Munich, and, and that Bayern Munich job could become available because Thomas Sukel um, is under all kinds of pressure, as you'd imagine, with Bayern Munich being seven points behind. So, I think Munich would be would be one. Real Madrid, for about the last two years, really, um, it's been anticipated that Carlo Ancelotti would depart um, Real Madrid, and every year he seems to just stay on for, for one more season. He's very trusted, but. I wouldn't be surprised if they made the call um, this summer. So I think you are looking at, you know, the absolute elite clubs. I mean, Alonso, somebody that's played under un, you know, different types of manager, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola. So he, he understands both sides of the game. I think he was always likely to go into management, started off slowly with um, the Real Sociedad B team away from the limelight, has kind of worked his way into this position um, at Leverkusen. Leverkusen were in a bad state when he took them over, and it wasn't an immediate impact that he had. It has been gradual, um, and I always quite like that, you know, that it's been a real process um, for Alonso over the last 12 months to to grow the team into into the way that he wants them to play. He was a patient footballer. He's a patient coach, and um, he kind of just feels and looks like an elite manager, um, sounds like one. Um, and I, I think just the way that he carries himself suggests that the next job he gets will be uh, one of the real sort of big guns. But he has got this job to do um, with Leverkusen. And Leverkusen are quite cruelly um, referred to as Neverkusen in Germany because they never quite managed to get over the line. And so if he can kind of change that, that will just be another string to his bow that, you know, that there's a mentality um, that he's able to bring to a club, you know, that, that winning mentality as well from his playing days. But he, he's been very impressive, not only this season, but the back end of last year as well. well. The German media are talking highly of Alonso and the other team, I suppose. We look across Europe that are flying high, are Girona in La Liga. I know they've, they've played a game more than Real, but they are on top. Yeah, they, they are. I mean, this is, um, you know, a, a sort of a fairy tale story up to a point because they are um, owned by Manchester City um, and sort of, you know, part of that City group. But they haven't got, it, it, this is not sort of that's got, you know, all of City's cast offs. It's not like that at all. Um, you know, that their, their wage bill is you know, nothing like what the teams they're ahead of at the moment, Real Madrid and Barcelona. So they are uh, one point clear. As, as you mentioned, Ruby, Real Madrid have got that game in hand, but there was massive controversy in Spain at the weekend because Real Madrid were 2-0 down to the bottom team, Almeria. And um, you know, it was going to be, I think, you were talking about the shots in AFCON, I think this would have been the biggest shot of the European season because Almeria, Almeria haven't won a game all year and they found themselves 2-0 up at the Bernabeu got it back to 2-2 Real Madrid and in the 99th minute um, it felt like referee was going to play until Real Madrid um, scored uh, Danny Carvajal the right back popped up and, and scored a dramatic winner that kind of I think would have been a real dagger through the hearts for those Girona players that you would have been hoping for an unlikely slip up they have got a small advantage there's still a long way to go and I think that Real Madrid will reel them in but I, I, I don't think that really kind of is the story for Girona because they're almost certain now to be in the Champions League. And that in itself um, is an absolutely remarkable rise for a team of their stature, even allowing for the fact that they're owned by Citigroup. 
Mark, thank you very much. Gonzalo Malero, who plays for Almeria, echoes your thoughts on how long that game would have gone on for. Nothing more could have been done for them to win the game, was exactly what he said after it. That's all we have time for on soccer. We'll be back after this break with James Collin. Game on. Rugby. Now we are turning our attention to rugby and the news was confirmed last night that Owen Farrell has decided to join the top 14 Giants Racing 92 in the summer. It was long speculated that he was going to move to France but now it has been confirmed and to talk about what his career in France might look like we are joined now by James Collin. How are you James? I'm very well, how are you? Good, so you're in Buritz. Yeah. Sunny Buritz? Uh, yeah. It's sunny, it's sunny this evening. Uh, it's green down here for a reason because it's very like home, it rains a lot. But no, it's uh, it's uh, no, it's sunny this evening. So, yeah, so listening to the news, the same as yourselves. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a big signing for racing. Not that they're not used to making big signings, but uh, the kind of a history of taking good tens to be fair. So, um, he's he would add on to the long list before him, you know. He most certainly would, but it'd be a big difference for Owen Farrell. He's 15 years in Saracens, completely different culture for him. A new challenge? I think so, Ruby. I think the fact that um, it was funny. I was like, I was listening to Roy Keane and and Ian Wright the other week on their podcast, and it was you know just a change of environment, change of a different dressing room. And I, I went through it myself. You know, it's. Um, He's going to the locks as well of, of racing, who have an amazing budget, amazing training centre, the best of everything. And he's not going too far so outside his uh, outside the box either with the fact that Stuart Lancaster, who would have coached him with England and under-20s and, and would have a bit of history between the two of them. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it, it's, um, as you say, Ruby, it's a new challenge. Um but with the benefit of having people around him that he knows and trusts, so that's always a huge benefit, you know. That'll be a huge benefit, but mm. there's always the language thing. And that's it. He's, yeah. he's in his thirties. I mean, you were a mm. bit younger when you went to France, but he's going to have to learn French. I'm assuming he doesn't speak French. Maybe I'm wrong in Owen Farrell, but no, I can't no, I, I don't does. think so. Yeah, it's kind of French with an ordinary English accent could be difficult as well. So I mean. Um, I think it's a big thing, um, especially in the position he's playing in, Ruby. You know, he's at 10, he's, he's, he's expected to make the calls, he's expected to be able to communicate inside and outside him. Um, but racing are used to that in the sense of um, they've had foreign 10s before. Obviously, Johnny was there and they Dan Carter and uh, Finn Russell most recently. And I know Finn at the end of the... Um, at the end of his time in, in in racing could speak French so I think that's the um, they do put a massive effort into guys getting into into um, a French uh, environment but like he's going to have to make the effort himself and that can be the, a difficult part because that's the stress of moving anywhere I think uh, Ruby is um, is coming out of that comfort zone um, where he's immersed in it, maybe the family, the missus and the kids at home aren't being as much immersed in it and then that can be the difficulty as well where you know he's having to translate or the kids are having to translate for the for his wife and, and, and family. So, you know, there's loads of little challenges that people forget as well, you know, from um, outside of his performance on the pitch. Um, we all know those one percenters can make a big difference so it's important that you know he gets I think the fact that it's been announced so early as well um, 
will allow him to get going on the French lessons before he even leaves. So I think if he if he's got a, I know he's got a good work ethic, so I'm sure he'll he'll try and get those French lessons in now before he leaves. So at least he's got a head start on it, you know. I know you say like that'll be for him and his mm. professional capacity, mm. but with a family, I know mm. from talking to Rona yeah. when he went, like yeah. you just had to send the kids into French school and you're at yeah. the gate waving kids that speak English mm. into a French school and they don't really like it. That can be hard in the player when they move to. Absolutely. The first six months are definitely the most difficult. Um, I was lucky when I moved to Po um, with an international school. No, whether it was lucky or not, afterwards, in hindsight, to be honest with you, Ruby, uh, the fact that you just throw... The kids are so adaptable to throwing them in at the deep end and the, the schools would be, especially in Paris, would be uh, used to having non-French speakers coming in. So I know my girls um, picked up after three, four months in the French school, like they, they could do the translations and they're correcting me on my pronunciation and stuff. So, I mean, um, it's amazing that the difference, um, they don't have that fear, you know, of making a mistake that maybe as, as adults that we do, we're afraid to, to be, be made a fool of. But, um, the, the kids are unbelievable how quickly they'll, they'll pick it up and, and, and now as they say look, look, the first few months are going to be difficult they're difficult for any family but um, I'm sure they'll have the support around them to, to, to be able to deal with that you know Farrell stepped away from the England squad just to protect his mm. own mental health and we know that he was mm. subjected to a lot of online abuse and it was really intense mm. being the captain of England and all that comes yeah. with that going into to France how much pressure is he going to be under and will he be under the spotlight as much when you're playing in a league like that when you're such a big name in that league mm. he, he will be because he's the big signing now you know um, everyone would be expecting um, it to be switched I think the rugby the non-rugby supporters if you if you know what I mean more the spectators would be in and We'll just take it for granted that that will run as as according as it uh, has done for the last fifteen years. Maybe the thing is, like as well, it's he's used to playing on a synthetic, so there is that that um, when he goes to racing, but they they play in an arena. It's not like it's a, a rugby pitch. It's not a, a big rugby area. It's in the middle of the defence, which is the the big industrial part of Paris, where you have office buildings and your big companies like whatever. Um, the big insurance companies, the big financial companies, they're all around them. And it's different. You know, you go in, it's 22 degrees, there's a massive giant screen when you walk in. Um, so that takes, an, you know, that that's an adaptation as well for him. Um, but just in general, um, you know, driving a car on the other side of the road, the madness of Paris that goes with the traffic, um, you know, the kids. I think the thing about living in, at least I, from my own experience, is that when you live in a place like Paris, effectively you don't live in Paris, you live in your little community and you live in your little um, neighbourhood outside of Paris because the madness of Paris is is just that. But he's used to that living in London. It's not like London is is an easy place to get around at the best of times. But um, no, I, I think it will be good for him because he's got, a, as well as Stuart, he's got Fred Michelac, who we all know is, you know, I've worked with Fred in Toulon. He's, he speaks English as well. Um, uh, Fred's wife is, is um, South African, Australian, so... I mean, they speak English and he has a coach who's played at the highest level 
as well as um, gone through that moving country, not speaking the language. So he, you know, they, there's loads of positives for for Owen from that side of things and on the exterior rugby things that we may not see on a on a day to day basis. You know, from a playing perspective, then how attritional mm-hmm. is it going to be when you don't have the protection of the English mm. Rugby Union? Yeah, look, he's going to be expected to play every week. That's it. You know what I mean. But he he stepped away from um, he stepped away from the international duty, so he doesn't have that international duty. Um, I don't know. Is he is he ruling himself out from going from the Lions? It might be a bit awkward with his dad being the coach. That could be a bit <laughs> difficult as well. But um, like. I think the main thing for Owen is just to try and concentrate and enjoy his rugby again and I think that maybe the change will change will do him nothing but good you know in the sense that uh, there isn't a familiar a film, familiar of going into the same place doing the same thing with the same people hearing the same voices and it'll be all new to him so um, it, it's just completely starting afresh for him so um, no I think it's I can like Attritional as it is, you know, you still have the November break. You still have the um, the uh, the break during the Six Nations, um, but like you know, the, uh, the, uh, racing aren't stupid either. They've Anton Gilbert, who's in the French squad, so it's not like they're short of quality players. So you know, he he'll be well managed and 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 looked after because as you know he's the big name signing and he's their biggest asset so um, they'll do their best to make sure that he, he, he obviously c- continues to play at the highest possible level James speaking of the Six Nations Ireland of course are up for or France are up first for Ireland this time around in a couple of weeks time is there still a much of a French hangover after the World Cup or have they gotten over it yet? There is, uh, Ruby, uh, from a French point of view, it, it is still, you know, I, I saw Charles Olivier during the week talking about, you know, the hangover and, and not having any regrets, but the fact that, you know, they're, they're at the start of a new cycle now, there's a new staff, they've got a good few injuries, uh, Mia Fu, who was um, the Toulouse second row that we've seen for the last few years do so much damage, with first time being selected, is injured. Jalanch uh, is injured, um, you know, and we know that Dupont is concentrating on the sevens for the the Olympics. Um, so I think um, if Ireland are ever in a good position to come to France and do do something, because Marseille is, is a very hostile environment, the, the, it is the best possible time for them to come and, and do a job. And I think they're a lot more stable in, in their setup. Um, Obviously, Mike Katz last year in the coaching setup, so they'll be looking to do something, send him off on a good note. Peter obviously will want to make an impact as his first time as actually officially captain of the team. So it's been uh, there's plenty of positives on the Irish side, and there's plenty of negatives on the French side. So um, fingers crossed that bodes well for for Ireland going into what should be a very difficult game coming to Marseille to play. You know, hopefully it will. And just one thing you touched on, James, you mm. did mix. 15s with sevens yourself. What about Dupont? Mm. Do you think he's tailor-made for it? Um, he can do everything. The guy is a magician. Um, the, the, like he'll take that to a doctor water. You know, we we saw what he did in Ulster. That's just an example. I, I just did a couple of tries. You can see his running lines and support lines um, are just made for playing sevens rugby. Um, he's got unbelievable feet. He's a low centre of gravity. His um, his strength is 
Um, it's just, I played against him when we were in cast and you kind of see this little fella and you think, God, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll eat him up and he just gives you a little handoff and you're like, where did that come from? So, um, yeah, I think the Olympics, you know, he's looking at maybe progressing from maybe the most famous rugby player to one of the most famous sportsmen and the fact that he can he can now be an Olympian and and certainly the fact that it's in Paris is a huge attract, attraction for him. So I think... Uh, uh, it all bodes to, to the guy just being turning his hand to it like he's done you know like like Ulster experience and like so many other teams have experienced over the last few few years the guy is just uh, he's on another level to everybody else so Ireland will be happy not to be in front of him uh, in a couple of weeks in Marseille that's for sure When I think of French sports stars I always think of Kylian Mbappe is he far off him mm. in terms of recognition in France? No, no, he's not. I think um, you have Mbappe. You still have the the, the likes of Zidane, obviously, who, who who was something more than than a, than a, a sportsman. But um, no, I, I honestly, like Antoine Dupont and Mbappe would be the two most famous sports people in 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 France. And um, the fact that he's got his own, you know, he's doing stuff outside of rugby as well with you know designer marks and. Uh, you know, every time you turn on the TV, it's it's like um, you know every second ad is is Anton Dupont. So it's he's just he's come to a level where he's a bit bit more than just a rugby player, but like he's still unbelievably humble. He's still you know to, to, it's just a, you know he's a credit to to where he's from and, and who he is because it's, uh, it hasn't gone to his head and it's um, you know you never see him in trouble or, or, or doing anything he shouldn't be doing so it's just um, he's a, yeah as I say uh, he is right up there with Mbappe and, and you know rugby especially in the south of France where I am it's you know rugby is way ahead of football in that sense so it's um, yeah it's, he's, he's like a god down here to be honest with you <laughs> So the Six Nations uh, this time round, we're going to have no Dupont, no Owen Farrell, mm. no Johnny Sexton. Is it going to be a lesser competition without these big stars? Do you think? Lesser? No, I think it it just shows the now is the, the the cycle is starting for like I know obviously the British and Irish lads will be looking at um, the Lions and impressing uh, Andy Farrell and whatever his coaching staff is made up of but um, you still have unbelievable quality uh, players in the sense that Sin Russell will be starting at 10th mm-hmm. for, for Scotland Scotland haven't won a Six Nations in, 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 a blue, in a long long time and you know as you say the guy you know, France and Missing Dupont uh, Owen Farrell isn't playing the Six Nations um, I thought they were really good in the Six Nations last year. I know they fell off in the World Cup, but they could be dark horses this year with the amount of other teams that are missing people. I think they're probably the most stable setup, and they could definitely um, do something. It's been a good few, year, a few years since they've been competitive, and you might see Scotland, for example, being the, you know the most settled setup and and do something this time around. But I think that there's huge amount of quality in it and, and, and I think that especially as I said from the British and Irish point of view um, they'll definitely be looking at, 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 at um, 18 months time when they're going to be picked for for uh, a, a Lions tour you know And James finally yourself you're gone mm. from Toulon you're still living in Bill mm. what is James Collins mm. world now? 
Uh, this masters. I'm doing a, a masters in performance coaching, and um, it's the name, nature of the beast. Uh, a, a bit ruby, you know. It's um, the coaching, um, professional sport. It's, it's kind of the cycle. So no, I'm just obviously looking for the right opportunity and and uh, looking to to go in and and make an effort. We were lucky enough. Um, Last season we finished with a, a European Cup um, in an, in Aviva, so that was a nice way to finish. Um, so no, it's just um, just finding the right opportunity and finding the right um, the right person to work with is is the key. And um, you know, um, it's been it, this year is my tenth year now in France, so it's been uh, it's gone by like in a blink of a blink of an eye. So it's just a. Keeping my hand in, but I'm um, just looking out for what you know the right move at the right time. It's just is the right thing for 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 me personally and the right thing for my family. You know, that, that's the the most important thing when it comes down to it. To be honest with you, really. where could you see this qualification taking you? Um, I honestly, uh, it would give me a wider basis of the management. You know, of um, of an set up uh, would be um, allow me to look at other sports as well in the sense of it's not just uh, rugby like um, it's 22 years now I've been doing professional rugby um, and it, as amazing as it is you know you were talking about Owen Farrell earlier about the change in the restroom to, to be able to step in and out to other sports to be able to be involved in maybe um, the formations more than just uh your uh, professional setups so that there's actually a, a, um, an end goal of three or four years rather than it being the weekend after the weekend after the weekend so um, like um, obviously the RFU are well set up in their national talent scheme um, but then you can also look at other ones in the sense of uh, in Irish sports for example you'd be looking at you know working with sports coaches like working with um if it was the RFU, if you're in rugby with basketball Ireland, whoever it is, but just expanding your 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 baseline, if you're able to use the experience of the rugby and the professional setup, and but also implement it into other sports or implement it into other other um, environments. So it's not just um, you know we talk about it always. You know that the, the, the skills are transferable, and you know working in businesses and gestion and management or however it is. So it's. Um, I'm I'm delighted to be doing it, and it's given me a wider base, and I think it was needed. But um, the itch is there to be scratched, and uh, I, you know, it's the, we're all a bit like um, we know sometimes that the professional sports, and I know Ruby, you know yourself how cutthroat it is. Uh, it's you know sometimes it's not great for you, but you always want to do it. So it's always the the, the plan is to be involved in coaching and helping and educating players and and. and I'm winning because that's what it's about at the end of it when professional sports about winning winning competitions winning games and, and that drive is always there and if it's not there then you're, you're wasting your time you know so um, no it's, it's it's definitely an itch I, I still have and it's, it's, it's definitely an itch I still want to scratch so I'm, I'm you know, just looking forward to the next uh, the next possible opportunity basically Well I hope it goes well for you James it's a brave step to take but thank you very much for taking yeah. our call this evening Thanks <laughs> 
Now, welcome back earlier today. Orsi's Anthony Wine spoke to Galway's Damien Comer and Mayo's Killian O'Connor at the launch of the Alliance Football League, starting with Damien Comer on Shane Walsh's role with Galway this year. Shane Walsh was, was quite hard on himself towards the end of the year, just when he looked back on his, his own championship and he said he sort of feels like he owes the county a big 2024. I, I think you'll have him back earlier this league than you did last year. There's four or five games before he came back in. How important is it is a a clear-headed, fully-focused Shane in, in terms of what he wants to achieve this year? Yeah, I suppose, uh, like, obviously, knowing Shane, he, he'll he hold himself um, to the to the highest count and he knows how good he is and we know how good he is as well. And um, Like anyone, we want to get the best out of our players. But, yeah, um, just, yeah, I suppose he'll, he'll, have disappoint- he'll have disappointments as I do and as a lot of the lads will have a lot of regrets from last year, different things that didn't go our way. Um, so trying to rectify them it was the same I would have been the same after the All-Ireland final trying, I couldn't wait to get back in the pitch because it was a disappointing day um, trying to even the first club game felt like it was great to just get a bit of get a bit of football played again and just to try and correct some things that didn't go right and I suppose every player every player that has any ambitions to do well is, is the same thing so yeah it's good good to have him back good to have him back earlier as well and yeah we just need we need everyone I suppose um, we've lost a couple of players that um, haven't committed this year through work or whatever, so it's every player that every player that we have, we need them firing, and that's from from one to thirty six, whatever's on the panel. And um, we need we need everyone, yeah. It's, as a teammate, as a friend of, of his, could you see that how a lot of the noise around his club situation maybe did just affect him a little bit last year? Yeah, but in fairness to Shane, he kind of he lives in his own bubble sometimes, so. Um, he, he a lot of the stuff he wouldn't have he would he might have even seen that but yeah there's a certain parts of it, but he probably knew that was the price when you're leaving going to a top club in Dublin that was always going to be um the case uh leaving your home club so yeah but just look at this does it's just because I suppose the the game that he had in the Ireland final and his profile it was always going to be a, a something bigger made of it than than what it was and there's many other players that have that have transitioned clubs through the years for different reasons, and some not as some reasons not even as good as his. But it's just because because of the I suppose standard of player it makes it, it's it's highlighted by uh, by media an awful lot more. Game on, Gaelic football. Hi, Killian. Hi, Killian. Just just to go back to the London game, Killian, because Kevin was quite frank afterwards. He, he said the opportunities don't go on forever. Just in, in reference to maybe some of the players who were who were getting a chance for games like that. Like, did you? Or would you find yourself maybe putting an arm around fresher faces, younger players, having a little chat with them? Like, is that a, a role that you have adopted at this point in your career? Um, yeah, I suppose you probably probably don't consciously decide that you're going to, you know, force conversations with lads. But it probably does happen, you know, naturally that in the dressing room. Um, you find yourselves chatting with, with younger players and almost everyone you sit beside is a younger player now. So yeah, the, you do strike up those kind of conversations and obviously after the, the game or any game, you know, you're disappointed or, you know, if we lose a training game and we're sitting beside each other, we're, we're, we're pissed off. So uh, yeah, we would have had a few chats after the match. Like a lot of those, a lot of our players um, might've been their first time representing Mayo or, you know, first handful of appearances. So, you know, it's all part of a learning curve and obviously very disappointed not to win the game. Um, but same as anything, 
we we reviewed it, management facilitated a, a review, went through it, and we know certain parts weren't good enough, so put it to work then on the Tuesday. Do, do you think that there's a bit of a culture shock for younger players or newer players coming in because the demands are, are so intense in inter-county football that it maybe it does just take a little period of transition in, in terms of getting used to how tough it actually is to be in a setup like Mayo? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd say the players that come in to inter-county setups tend to be, you know, high achievers and tend to be really ambitious lads. So, you know, I can only speak to the players I've encountered over the last few years, or even myself coming in at that age. You know, you want to challenge, you want to push yourself. You're, you're maybe a little bit nervous or whatever, but you know, it's uh, it's a decision you make yourself to go down that road and you know, getting to, to hang around with other players and chat with lads from different clubs and, and see the level of expertise in our management. You know, it's a buzz more than anything else. And um, it's obviously not going to happen overnight. You're not going to come from outside to, to inside and, and suddenly know everything. And the lads know that. So, no, there's a huge appetite, I'd say, for learning and hunger from the young lads. And it's, it's um, they, they, they've all taken to it really well. Uh, you, you've got plenty of pre-seasons under your belt at this stage, Killian, but it just seems like the weather year on year it's getting wetter and stormier and, and more difficult I mean you're, you talked about playing in the dome um, do you think maybe it's something that should be looked at longer term it's, I know it's not easy and it costs a lot of money for facilities like this but just in terms of playing games in the type of weather we had at the weekend granted the two club finals were excellent you know it must be it must be getting to a point where there's times where it's almost impossible to actually have a, a decent game of, of football or hurling. Yeah, like I suppose not to, 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 to as a player, you're you're you just try and see the opportunity. So like obviously as a spectacle, the game can be affected by like a gale force wind going down one pitch or going down one direction. Um, but as players, like you try and see the opportunity in that. You know, it's it's harder to execute your skills. So I would say the better skilled players are going to still excel. You know, it's a chance to really nail your your weak side hand pass or kick pass or bounce in the, in the, in the mucky conditions, you know? Mm. And I think that's, that's, that's a sign of really good players who can still win breaking ball in the muck, or they can still execute a proper pickup off their left foot when they're under pressure in the muck in the rain. So I know as a spectacle, it, it might, um, it might take away from it, but you know, you still see some unbelievable Allianz league games this time of year, albeit slightly different to the summer fair. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see how we can get on and, and manage these games in these conditions. And hopefully they will get on well in the conditions. Maybe we need a few more domes throughout the country, Marie, to keep it all going. But anyway, I'm afraid that is about all we have time for tonight. Myself and Marie are not back with you tomorrow. It will be Shane Dawson. Thanks to Ronan Law, our producer, and Laura Lady Davis, our BCO. Better the Silva's up next. RTE 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin.